Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Everybody, whatever. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitching the fuck out of shit. It's Binge Boys, where we talk about streaming shows and stuff. I'm Hal Rudnick, and sitting across from me via Zoom is Juan Harris. Only streaming shows. We don't talk about anything else here. I mean, I mean, I gave us a, a little bit of a, you know, a catch-all with and stuff. <laughs> right. I know, and that's that's what I'm objecting to. I when we when we agreed to do this podcast, I specifically said I don't want to talk about anything else other than streaming shows. I'm not interested. No and stuff. Yeah, definitely not. And every podcast is like that. Like, well, it's whatever we feel like talking about. I'm like, no, you should be one topic. You're gonna you're gonna go get fast food every time and review it. That's it. I don't want to hear about your day, Mark I mean, Marin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm gonna interview this person, but maybe I'll also talk about my cats. No, that's not what we agreed on. Yeah, long jag on cats. That's not what we agreed on. I, I mean, Lon. I mean, I may, I, I may go off. I might start talking about <laughs> peanut butter or sneakers. We're both dog owners. I mean, yeah. there's. A, I think I, those are I think those are the things that might make Hal go off. Sneakers and peanut butter. Yep. I mean, <laughs> it's like you and th- th- you and Jerry are, Seinfeld. It's like oh, they might bring up Superman, and I'm going to go off. He, he's more of a cereal guy. Than, cereal, but sneakers. Uh, peanut butter not, guy. Also yeah. sneakers. Oh. That's what I was thinking. I mean. Seinfeld's a little bit of a fake sneakerhead. He's, I mean, yes, he likes it. Wow, shots fired. Yeah, I mean. Shots fired. He liked liked a fresh pair of kicks, but, like, he didn't have, like, go, like, deep cuts or anything like that. No, but I don't think he ever sold himself as one of those, like, he's in line at the hundreds to get the new Air Force Ones. Like, that wasn't the bit. It was just, yeah, he liked wearing sneakers in an era when... Not every adult man just wore sneakers. It was a long time ago. Jerry Seinfeld, fashion rebel. He was a little ahead of his time on that. Like now, grown men just wearing sneakers all day doesn't seem weird. We all—that's what every adult man does. But yeah, I mean, you're just—you're you're just a follower. In the late '80s, early '90s, it was still men were expected to wear like real clothes. Sometimes adults. I only laugh at comedians wearing. Wingtips. Yeah, where's your suit, buddy? Yeah. Lon, what's... We all know you have your finger on the pulse of streaming. You put out a streaming newsletter every week. We know it because you say it all the time. You you eat it, drink it, sleep it. I you do. You make love to it. No, that's not. That's inappropriate. You feed it with a baba. Streaming is your baby. Any news in the world of streaming? Yeah, we got, you know, we got a, we got a few things that happened this week. Netflix released a trailer promoting their entire film slate for the new year. It's a list of over 70 movies. They're promising at least one big new movie a week for the entire year 2021. The trailer included a lot of... Yeah, let me do the math in my head. There's 52 weeks in a year, and you just said they, they released 70 movies. Yeah, this is more than they need for one big movie per week all year. We A lot of these titles we sort of already know a few things about. There's Red Notice, which is an international spy heisting with Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot and Dwayne Johnson. We got Don't Look Up. That's Adam McKay's movie about the end of the world with Jennifer Lawrence and Leonardo DiCaprio. We've got the third entries in the To All the Boys in the Kissing Booth 
rom-com franchises. We got a little Zack Snyder. We got Army of the Dead. That's his zombie apocalypse heist movie. We got Bruised, the directorial debut of Halle Berry. So so much, a lot, a lot going on. Lin-Manuel Miranda's uh, Tick, Tick, Boom adaptation. A lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I think at the at the end of the day, what it all boils down to is we will never return to the cinema again. <laughs> no, I mean, in this 2021 is going to be just everything is streaming platforms and all of these platforms. They're really because they're struggling right now. Obviously, they want subscriptions. They want you to come to them. They want to become part of your regular streaming diet that you get used to having. They all want to be the next Netflix that we've all signed up. And it's just a thing that we're expected to have. And everyone you know has Netflix. They all want to get there. And and mm-hmm. so it's it's a branding thing in addition to, to winning over these subscribers. They're going to do whatever. They're going to spend any amount to, to sort of win you over to these platforms. So, yeah, Netflix, they're at this point now, they've been around forever, but they're sort of playing catch up because we've already had Disney, of course, blew the doors out with their announcement of, a thousand Marvel shows and Star Wars shows. And then, you know, HBO is now every Warner Brothers movie is going to debut on HBO Max. And so this is I think we can accurately read as Netflix's return fire. Like, oh, yeah, well, you're not going to be able to see Amy Adams in The Woman in the Window unless you got Netflix, brother. Like that's their that's their rejoinder. Although that like it's probably terrible. Yeah, I think like everyone doesn't everyone have Netflix already? Isn't that like the one that people? Yeah, sort of. And I mean, I mean, that's really what Netflix is counting on because Netflix, if you think about it, compared to all of these other companies, like what's what's the what's the one thing that Netflix lacks that all these other platforms have? And it's an established library of content. There is no net. You know, Netflix doesn't have the Warner Brothers library. They don't. You know, they don't. They're not. They don't own everything Disney. They don't own everything Viacom. They don't have a studio behind them. Everything that they have is either they've got to pay to license it or they've got to just make it themselves and it's organically Netflix's. Yeah, I mean, they have their library. At this point, they've put together a pretty good stable of shows. But it's not, there's no, net, like, there was no Netflix in like the 70s. So they, they don't own any studio archive that they can draw from the way all of these other platforms do. And that most of these other platforms are really building a lot of their brand identity around. I mean, obviously Disney, most of all, but Warner media too. And Viacom, I mean, they're going to rebrand CBS all access is it. It's going to become paramount plus this year. And that's going to just be leaning very heavily on not just Paramount, which they have the whole Paramount library, and their first big show is going to be about the making of the movie The Godfather, a Paramount classic. But they've also got, you know, all of their Viacom CBS owns, you know, MTV, Nickelodeon, BET, VH1, uh, Comedy Central. So they could draw from all of that, too. You know, they've, they've got all of that stuff at their disposal. Until Dave Chappelle shames them into pulling it, um, sure. <laughs> and uh, and so yeah, so so Netflix is sort of you know they've got to work overtime, they've got to do twice as much as everybody else because they know that you know the moment there's no new Stranger Things or Bridgerton or Tiger King or Extraction or The Old Guard, you know they could lose people to these places with these deep established catalogs. Right, yeah, people aren't just going to uh, be going through like, oh, let me rewatch the Netflix classic that I just watched a year ago. Right. 
It's not that kind of. Oh, I can, I can go to yeah, I can go to Disney Plus and just see all my childhood favorites yeah. or whatever. And I mean, we would le- we learned today the number one most watched show on Netflix last year, according to Nielsen, was The Office, and it's not there anymore. Now it's on. Now it's on Peacock. You got to go Peacock, to the cock yeah. to see Scott's tots. <laughs> you know, like so. So right, Netflix is like living in that world where the sand is constantly moving beneath their feet, and they've got to keep up. So that's what I think you can sort of chalk this up to. This announcement today. There is a little bit more news we got to talk about. I, I want to hear your thoughts on this, Hal. So Amazon is making a movie with Aaron Sorkin, and it's called it's called uh, Being the Ricardos, and it is it's going to follow a week in the life of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz as they were making I Love Lucy, and they 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 they're circling. It looks like it's going to be Nicole Kidman as Lucy and Javier Bardem as Desi. What 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 are what are your what are your thoughts? I mean, I, I agree with much of the outcry about Nicole Kidman. She just doesn't um, have the comedic backlog. I mean, listen, she's good at making semi-distressed but borderline expressionless faces in these new uh, David E. Kelly shows. It's like, it's like, it's like, she's acting despite the Botox. You know, she's pushing through it. She's yes, she's pushing through the Botox. And like I remember, she she you know she has done you know some dark comedies. You know, To Die For and Stepford Wives. And a few. I don't know if I'd use that as the example, but yes. Yeah, right. Well, to die for was uh, pretty. Yeah, to die. I mean, right. Like, I don't think anybody's. I don't think anybody's denying that she's got. She's she's a great actress, and she could probably pull off. Oh, that you know, like an impersonation, I guess. But I don't know. I don't see it. It's not the sort of thing that you you propose, and I'm like, oh yeah, that could work. It 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 seems like a weird hit mix. I mean, if if it is a week in the true life of these folks then maybe it's a little bit more uh, dry Lucille Ball. Uh, well, right. It, it's, yeah, I mean, she's not... Uh, her as a physical, like, I haven't seen her as a physical comedian. A lot of people were positing Deborah Messing as a Lu- Lucille Ball, and I've seen some, like, side-by-side. Yeah, side. she did some recreation of, like, the Vitamita Vegemin bit for something or something. Deborah Messing's, like, done it before, and that's why everybody's like, oh, she could do it. Yeah, I saw a side-by-side. Side. She looks, you know, I mean, she looked the part. And I get that, I get that Aaron Sorkin doesn't want to do that. It's not man. Man in the Moon, where he's going to be like recreating all of her career highlights. It's going to be this behind-the-scenes story about their marriage and the making of the show. But I, I just, I don't know. Like Nicole Kidman does not exude Lucille Ball energy to me in the way that exactly like you said, somebody with more of a comedic background. Like Kristen Wiig to me seems like kind of an obvious touch point mm-hmm. where we know she can act, but she's you'd believe her as like a TV comedian. Kate McKinnon. Yeah, Kate Blanchett was the one who was apparently attached before Nicole Kidman, which is also to me. I don't know. I guess. Well, I mean, he's just going for great. I wouldn't put. I wouldn't uh, deny Kate Blanchett anything. I think she could. uh, I think she is uh, one of our greats, one of the great living. Yeah, great. But again, she hasn't really done. I mean, she's done funny stuff, but I don't know. And Javier Bardem also not being Cuban, like. Because he's from Spain, we're like, nah. yeah, like okay, yeah. Any Latinx person will do basically. Would, they're saying great opportunity to give a great part to a Cuban guy. Yeah. Also, Javier Bardem, not known for his lighthearted fare. But that, I mean, uh, again, with Des, like, I think to me, I'm part of what this hang up is for me is like Lucille Ball. She's got such specific like energy, you know, like it's it's. 
it, it, it more so than Desi Arnaz. Like not not to fault Desi Arnaz who had his part to do and he's Ricky and you know, but I don't know. Like there's it's not singular. I feel like a lot of people, if you could do the accent and the voice, could do the like Lucy, you know, like he's got a few beats he's gotta hit. Lucille Ball, it's such a specific voice and energy to her. Nobody else is like Lucy. Right, but we're talking about the the camera, the on-camera persona. The behind sure, the- but I mean, but we also kind of know what Lucille Ball was like behind the scenes. Or maybe I'm just an old Hollywood fan, so I know. But she did so many interviews. There's so much footage of the real Lucille Ball that I feel like I get what she was also, like, obviously not. Oh, you're a big anti-mame guy. Obviously not, like, like in her, you know, I'm not saying I knew her personally, but, like, I, what, what she was like off-camera as well as on-camera. Sure, but maybe it'll be a dark, gritty version of, of their life, and uh, Javier Bardem uh, will... No, it's Aaron Sorkin, not Zack Snyder. <laughs> oh, because I was hoping Javier Bardem would say to Fred Mertz something like, yeah. what's the most you've ever lost in a coin toss friend oh right. they'll just be covered in tiny spikes yes tiny doing cuban pete oh but in tiny spikes oh so it's it's uh so we're talking anton sugar meets steppenwolf yeah yeah exactly that uh that's on cuban pete desi arnest did that on i love lucy before it was in the mask that's where i knew it from oh gotcha yes made popular by jim carrey and uh cameron diaz Oh, there, there you have it. Jim Carrey. How come it's not Jim Carrey and Cameron? No, I mean, Jim Carrey, probably not Latinx enough. Also, also not Cuban. Also not Cuban. But, you know, who's, are we going to split hairs here? I had one more. We, we talked about The Office being the number one show, according to Nielsen, the most streamed show last year. What do you, do you want to guess on the next two? What, round, round out our top three? Now, remember, Nielsen Nielsen can only measure Netflix, Disney Plus, Hulu, and Amazon. So it's not going to be Apple shows or HBO Max shows or Peacock shows. Keep it to the big four. Yeah. Okay. Office, we know, number one. What do you think were two and three? So. I'll give you another hint. Doesn't have the history, doesn't have the history of The Office, but I'm going to go Mandalorian. No. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, too. The top three, all Netflix. All on Netflix. Aha. Tiger King. No. Mm. Wow. Oh, for two. I should quit while I'm behind. I'll give you one more hit. None of the shows are Netflix originals. The entire top three shows licensed by Netflix. Want to take one more guess? Seinfeld. Not on Netflix. That's on Hulu. I'll give you the top three. Number one, The Office. Number two, Grey's Anatomy. Number three, Criminal Minds. Criminal Minds. Wow. Never would have gotten those. Criminal Minds. Criminal minds. I think this really highlights how how much that is powering streaming right now. Still, licensing of these old shows that people love and remember. People just want their comfort food. They want and, and the other thing to remember is it's the deep catalog. All of those shows have seasons upon seasons. If you're a person who enjoys watching Grey's Anatomy, you've got over 15 years of Grey's Anatomy to choose from. Whereas if you are a person who loves, you know, Ozark, there's a lot fewer episodes. You're going to get through it quicker. So that's part of that's part of what's going on here, too. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, I guess some people just want to hang out with their old friends. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people are law and order heads. Yeah. One more guessing game, then we can move into, into, into reviews. What do you think was the most watched movie across all of those platforms? So Disney Plus 
or Netflix or Hulu or Amazon. Number one most streamed movie of 2020, according to Nielsen. Extraction? Good guess. It was Frozen 2 on Disney+. Plus. Frozen 2. Ah. The kids... The kids want to watch, uh, they want to listen to Into the Unknown a few more times. Yep. Yeah. Is, is Extraction on the list? It is. I don't have the whole list in front of me, but yes, Extraction was a top 10 film for sure. Gotcha. Man, how about that? Thank you, Lon, for coming through with yeah. uh, much news. Oh, and I almost, uh, I, don't, I forget if I uh, mentioned this, uh, Lon. Hoot hoot to you before. <laughs> no, you didn't mention that, and I was glad that you didn't. Well, hoot hoot. All right, let's jump into some shows that we've been watching. You recommended a show that we both, uh, I'm all caught up on, Your Honor. Did I recommend it or did I just say, I'm watching it, let's watch you this? You said you're watching it. and um, Yeah, don't, don't misconstrue. Yeah, and maybe, maybe you're protesting a little bit there because I, I, don't know, I don't know about you, but I found Your Honor to be a, a pretty mediocre show. Yeah, it, 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 it's like it fools you. It, it's got all the trappings of a good show. Oh, it's got the prestige. It's beautifully the, uh, the- shot. It's like there's there's stuff to recommend it. it, it it's got that kind of story that's sort of like ratcheting tension slowly and it pulls you in. And for like an episode and a half, I found myself mistakenly believing I was watching a good show. And then right. about most of the way through episode two or three, I, 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 all of a sudden I found myself going like, wait a minute. Is this a is this a bad show? <laughs> is this is this a dumb show? I, I think it's a dumb show. It is kind of a dumb show, but yeah, you know, it's it's one of these prestige dramas or would be prestige dramas where you know it set it it sets the wheels in motion. Some some big stuff happens, and you know you kind of want to see how it turns out, but then you notice, oh, this is kind of poorly done. What? There's a loose thread here that they haven't gotten back to. Like, they throw so much against the wall here. And there there were several things, like, in the very first episode that, like, kind of made me, like, raise my hackles and be like, wait, what? The, okay, so first off, Brian Cranston is this judge. Like, very early in the show, he gets, they're in the courtroom, and he gets down off the stand and starts, like, I, I also have cross examining someone himself. Yeah, I've never seen a. I've listen. I've watched a lot of judge programs, real and fictional. I've never seen Judge Judy, or I've never seen like a movie. Judge I don't down and he's not. He's not allowed to do this. I don't think. Like, there's he introduces new evidence. Like, there's yes. there's he because he the lawyer doesn't bring this up. He brings this up where he like does like a whole my cousin Vinny thing where he's like, hold up, hold up, you're telling me, and then he he starts going after the witness. Like, you're telling me you were at the front door of this house and you were able to see around this corner. And it's like, I don't think you're allowed to introduce new evidence instead of the lawyer. That blatantly, like, what? Like, it's so confusing. For a second, you're like, is he the judge or is he the one? I'm going to cross-examine. Gavel, gavel, gavel. I'm going to cross-examine now. Yeah. It feels like it was like the guy who wrote it watched Judge Judy and was like, well, I guess that's what it's like to be a judge. I guess you just you just run the whole courtroom however you want. And it's like, no, I think that's just for TV. I don't think it's really like that. I think there are rules. And then 
early in the show, maybe this is just, I'm like, you know, extra SJW and sensitive to this or something, but I thought it had like a really regressive profile of like black people and people of color in the first episode. Like this kid drives into a neighborhood that's like, yeah, maybe like, you know, in the, on the wrong side of the tracks. It's the, it's the lower ninth. It's the lower ninth ward in, in New Orleans, which is like the infamously bad neighborhood in New Orleans. That's which but, gets me. I, I'll let you finish your point, but I, I did want to want to piggyback on that. But yeah, but the way he gets scared off by this stereotypical group of quote-unquote scary black people. I mean, in 2021, is that an image that we need, or, tw- or 2020, whenever it came out, is that an image that we need to keep, like, um, hitting people over the head with? I thought it was really poor. You could read that as his perspective. Like, are we, is is the show saying these people are scary? But they are also there specifically to intimidate him. So it's a weird example. But, but that's what, what I was going to say is everything in the show, it's like, it's all so big like they're it's they're afraid for anything to not be the most over-the-top cartoonishly large version of itself so like he can't just be like a good judge he's got to be this like trailblazing anything for justice i'm gonna leap off of this bench and come down there and defend you myself judge and michael stuhlbarg who's like the you know he's like the thug the 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 gang Oftentimes doing, oftentimes doing a De Niro impression. Yeah, it, well, he's doing a weird voice. Nobody's doing. No, but any, he does the face. He does the De Niro face, where you scrunch up the face a little bit, and you're like, oh, what, what, what? A lot of accents in the show, but not Cranston, who I believe is supposed to be a New Orleans native. Both Cranston and his son from New Orleans, no accent. A lot of other people are doing accents. No one is doing a New Orleans accent. Everybody's doing their own thing, including Stuhlbarg. But when they introduce him, like, he he can't just be a a gangster. He can't just be a mob guy. He's like, the most dangerous gangster in New Orleans history, son. You can't go in there. He's the most dangerous. He just looking at you and you're marked for death. It's like everything in the show is like that. And sometimes... The heaviest of heavies. Sometimes things can just be a three. They don't always need to be a ten. Or after a while, you're just like, nothing has any impact. Like, yeah, also, Michael Stuhlbarg's, like, his his crime syndicate or whatever, his right-hand man is, is Irish. Yeah, Tony Coran is that actor, yeah. Oh, yeah, but and I don't know if he's, is he supposed to be Italian mafia? Or, yeah, that's that's a little nebulous. That's what I mean, like, it's not, there's just, like, it's, everything is so broad. There's There's not a lot of specificity. It's just, like... They just and pile things on, and, and it, it's the most over-the-top version of itself, everything, until— In addition to that, they— the, the, the whole show pivots on an accident, and even the accident scene is that. It's like, it's not just a car accident. It's not just a car hitting a guy on a motorcycle. It's like, he's having an asthma attack, and there's, like, blood everywhere. And like It's like this deserted city street for, like, ten minutes, and— it's just like it, everything is silly and, and overwrought instead of realistic. There's some real gore porn in regards to that, that accident. Like, blood is spit up onto this guy. Yeah, it's like everything is like a fantasy of how this thing would play out. Also, 
I would uh, say that the show, again, it throws the kitchen sink at you. Like you were just saying, everything has to be a 10. The kid who has the accident, I mean, it's uh, not really a spoiler here. Well, here's a spoiler. He's having a relationship with his teacher? That's what I mean. Like, that's that's what I mean. Like, you can't just give him a girlfriend. He's like... He's he's having a secret affair with his poetry teacher or whatever. We have a whole show about that. It's called A Teacher. Like, there are so many elements in this show that are like, oh, what? And then uh, it's pretty there's, like, there's like a weird, like, love triangle sort of introduced and but for Cranston and those two women. Yeah. Um, it, 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 like, it's, and it I is a know. little bit stupefying here because – the the show is filled with great actors. Cranston, Stuhlbarg. We all remember the Stuhlbargasants when Michael Stuhlbarg was in what Call Me by Your Name and how many other good movies that uh, one year. Yeah, the 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 fish movie, you know, the, the the Shape of Water. Yeah, and then oh Isaiah Whitlock, who I, I love, is in this movie. So, two weeks in a row talking about Isaiah Whitlock. Yeah, Hope, Hope Davis is uh, Hope Davis is the mom. You know, I actually the- like Hope Davis. As, like she's like darkly sinister. It's a little, it's a little much too, but you know, all right. yeah. So you playing the grieving mom? Yeah. So it it's a it's a lot. It's really try hard. Every script tries to be like a grand slam. Like oh, and then. <laughs> Brian Cranston basically becomes kind of a weird private investigator Columbo type figure making up all these little different stories to get information out of people. Well, that's also I mean we we get you know kind of deep in the show I don't want to give yeah. stuff away but yeah but yeah there well it's he again it's it's silly because you're like well if he's going to go into all these people's lives and like really mess around with all of this evidence He's leaving this trail of breadcrumbs. Like, there's one scene where he goes to a gas station to try to delete surveillance video that he thinks is going to show his... And the whole thing is about his son is in this accident, this hit and run, and he's trying to cover up that his son was involved. And, and at one point, he, he's at this gas station, and it's like, well, but now there's surveillance video of you going to the gas station to delete the other surveillance video. And all the cops would need to do is ask the guy at this gas station what happened to the missing video. And he's going to know he can describe you. It's not wearing a disguise or anything like it's just like I, I, it feels like everything he does. You're never like, oh, that's a really like on Breaking Bad, which obviously I feel like this is trying to sort of borrow some steps from in some way. On Breaking Bad, a lot of the time, Walt would come up with these schemes and you'd be like, oh, that's clever. That's a clever way that he's going to get himself out of this trouble he was in. I never had that feeling watching this. Watching this, I was always like, well, that's stupid. That's just going to make more trouble for you. And it does. And again, it's it's like all the components are there, except they're just... They're not. But uh, you know what? I'm so deep in. I'll probably finish. I'll probably finish, Your Honor. I don't Never know. rewatch. Rewatch? Any- Why would you rewatch? Are you going back and rewatching a lot of these limited series? I got to go catch that Little Fires Everywhere again. That's what <laughs> I need to see. Undoing one more go around. I, I don't know if I've ever rewatched a limited series, honestly. That's a good point. Just like all. You know what? Just like all limited series, I will will not rewatch this, but I will especially not rewatch this. I, you know, uh, you know what? I've been meaning to revisit Chernobyl. 
(laughs) (laughs) It's left a limited void coefficient in my heart. But, you know, Chernobyl would be a nice upbeat note compared to 2020 and 2021. Yikes. Your Honor, on Showtime... Oh, and it's uh, one thing I didn't realize. Uh, Your Honor is a remake of an Israeli show. Yeah, yeah maybe that one was was done better. You know, I think it's... You, you, you could find better stuff. Yeah. Right. Re-wa- re- you know, speaking of rewatch, you could rewatch some Breaking Bad. Mon? You good? That's it? We're done? All right. Coming up, we are going to talk about Tiger, the Tiger Woods documentary from HBO. Lon, we both watched the first of the two-part series, docu-series, Tiger, from HBO. You can see it on HBO Max as well. Was really disappointed this is not about Sagat from the Street Fighter games. I... (laughs) I thought uppercuts and martial arts training, and instead it's some golf guy. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was going to be about Tony, the the Frosted Flakes uh, mascot, and I was all, uh, you know, I had my bowl of cereal. I was sitting in front of uh, the TV like it, like a kid on Saturday morning, ready for cartoons, and no, it was about Tiger Woods, the uh, the championship golfer who mm-hmm. later was uh, disgraced, and then he uh, the rise, the fall, the rise again. Juan, uh, what, what what are your first impressions of the first installment of Tiger? Yeah, I mean, I think before before watching my my thought, I don't know that much. You know, I know what we all know. I know the broad strokes. So before I watched, I was like, I bet I'm going to learn a lot about about the life of Tiger Woods beyond just what I know, which is that you know he had a really intense dad. And then I watched this uh, two hour first part of a documentary. And uh, I think my big takeaway was like, wow, that guy's got a really intense dad. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I guess I, I guess I thought there would be more. Maybe it's, maybe that stuff's coming up in part two. Part one just feels like a lot of like, it's really underlining just how intense Earl Woods was and how he had this worldview that Tiger sort of worked into Honestly, it almost feels more like it's it's Earl. It should be called Earl as but like it's almost as much about him. And he had this he had this idea that what what the world and what America really needed, what was going to bring people of different races and backgrounds together was a uh, black golfer. That seemed like like he's got this whole cosmology around a black golfer is going to change the world. And my son has the potential to be this golfer and I'm not going to let him like do anything with his life other than be the best damn golfer he can be. And I, I, I mean, I guess that's an interesting odd story. I, I don't know. I was hoping we would, we would probe. A little yeah. There deep. wasn't a ton of new stuff here. I agree. Like, I, I feel like I, I knew most of this stuff. I mean, you do get this picture of how, uh, you know, Earl Woods, had this trajectory for his son and then Tiger went out and achieved it. He was a phenom. Like if you if you go into this knowing like extremely little 
about Tiger Woods, you're going to get some stuff. But if you like, if you've been following, if you've been uh, aware and conscious during Tiger Woods' ascension as a like the, this Grand Slam championship golfer, then it's kind of like okay, not a ton here. But I thought there were a few revelations. His high school girlfriend had some really interesting information that kind of informed a little bit of like this robotic golf monster. Like Tiger Woods is scary and focused on the golf course. He's a beast. He's a fucking beast. And like, and just that mindset instilled in him by his dad, you you see it early on, like the early seedlings of it in how, like one of the, the best moment for me, the most interesting moment here was the breakup letter. And I don't want to spoil too much of it, but just like the breakup letter he wrote to his high school girlfriend, that was a fascinating moment of like, wow, who this person is and how she describes it and how it resonated. But then it leaves you a little cold too. Like there was this one moment where this club pro that Tiger Woods's dad played with and Tiger played with was talking about kind of the womanizing. He built it up like it's going to be this huge thing. And then we kind of got, he skimped out. Like there, we barely got a mention of what he was talking about. He's like, okay, I'm going to say this thing that I shouldn't say. And then he barely, do you remember that moment, Lon? Yeah, he's, uh, I mean, it's basically like Earl would bring women around and he would sneak off with them while Tiger was training or do playing golf. I mean, I, I think we hear what we need to hear. You're, you're right. There's not a lot of like stories behind it. I also, I saw a bunch of people tweeting about this. I did not know this. Apparently in the early days when Tiger was still very young, Earl and Tiger would go around to like public golf courses and like hustle people like Like Earl would bet people that his son could beat them at golf and he looked like this kid. And so people would take the bet and then Tiger would clean up and obviously dominate. And that (laughs) seems like that to me is what I was hoping for. Like that's a colorful, interesting anecdote. Where's that? Like it seems like we don't get any of that in favor of scene after scene after scene after scene of like, well, Earl had him out there early in the morning. And here's one other thing. I want to I want to add this before we move on. I got kind of a rule documentaries about famous people. They, they all do this thing that I always feel like is kind of a waste of time. And I sort of feel like you can judge how good the documentary about a famous person is by how much time they devote to this. And the thing is talking about how the person got real famous, because obviously we know the person we're watching a documentary about is, in fact, famous. Otherwise, we would not be watching this documentary about them. So you don't need to spend, obviously, you got to cover that, but you don't need to spend a ton of time in that world. We get it. Everybody knew who they were. They blew up. Let's move on with the story. And I, I think Tiger spends a lot of time on, like, And he just became this phenom and everybody wanted to know about Tiger. He was on the front of every magazine and he was getting all the endorsement deals. And here's a bunch of footage of people chasing him around a golf course. And it's like, I get, yes, I I remember that that I know who Tiger Woods is because this happened 
and he was this phenom. We already know he's the like he's the Beatles of golf. Right. He's the Michael Jordan of golf. You know what movie drove me crazy with this was that Ruth Bader Ginsburg one a few years ago where it was like 45 minutes of people talking about like and they put her on all these t-shirts and then she became a meme and it's like I I know. Tell us about her actual story. Yeah, I lived through that. We know she's a friggin' meme man. Let me compare this to uh, a great docu-series. I mean, I, I loved it from last year. I was going to go here. The it. Chicago Bulls. Yes, yes. Last Dance. And and coming in as a non-sports There was fan. so much, yeah, Last Dance had so much inside info. Last Dance, you thought, like, you were learning these tidbits. You were getting the, the, the inside poop from these guys. Here, yeah, just like you were saying, Juan, we are rehashing what we know and we're not getting the intricacies of those moments. And it's almost like there's too much to cram into the time they have. And I'll tell you one other thing. Is it? I don't know, man. I thought it sort of felt like get on with it. Like No, I I thought it it, it was just an overview of Tiger Woods' ascension here. Right, but I don't think that's because it's not possible to tell the story. They're just they're just telling the broad strokes over and over again. It's repetitive. Yes, they, they are. And I'm and I'm saying they 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 took that broad stroke route because if you're gonna get down in the trenches uh, and go over each and everything, there's just too much. And there's so many things they left out. Like they left out like the, the fuzzy Zeller moment where well, wasn't like, that gonna be in part said, two? Well, they already talked about him winning his first Masters, and that's when it happened, so... I mean, I don't know. I, I'm assuming some... We can't... It, you know, I don't know specifically... I don't know. I don't know. Maybe to you're me, right. I don't know. To me, it all seemed like a collision course, just like, we're giving you the broad strokes so we can get to the fall, so we can get to the scandal. And it ended in such a, like, heavy-handed, lascivious way with, you know, I, I mean... It, this is not a huge spoiler. Rachel, you could tell the, well, I, they, I guess. They've was, got she, her. I mean, that's the real story is they don't have Tiger. They don't have Earl. Like, that that Rachel Ucatel is who they got to participate. So they're building the whole show around her. Like, we're going to hear her story. Which, I mean, fair enough. I get why you do that. I just, yeah, I, I, I mean, don't know. I mean, instead, do you just do you do you just go fully like the lascivious route and make it the women of Tiger Woods or something like that? I, I don't know because the, the the golf portion it just felt you know fine by the numbers in in overview in broad strokes and we keep using the term strokes strokes pun intended golf uppercuts but yeah, yeah the, because like the, he had so many great matches that you could have like a, a fascinating documentary just on the day of on on like he had a playoff like when he was tied for the US Open lead in like 2008 or something that was just a history like so many history making moments if they wanted to they they could really immerse themselves in these moments but it was it was a little bit easy breezy and it was setting us up. It was all seemed like set up for the fall, which is fascinating. Listen, everybody loves to see someone go like stumble when they when they're at their peak. But uh, it, it seemed like it was mostly just there for that purpose. Agreed. Lon, there were things that I wanted to see. There are things that maybe I could have wanted to see more of. But here 
I'd like to talk about some fake spoilers from the Tiger Woods doc, Tiger, on HBO. Oh, I, I prepared real spoilers. I thought that's what we were talking about. All of the things I'm about to spoil are 100% real. I didn't realize you were going to write fake ones. Kind of a cop-out, if you ask me. Okay, then here's a caveat. Some will be fake, some will be real. Oh, and it's up to you. We'll let you judge. We'll let you be the judge. I thought it was really weird that they had a compilation of terrible golf shots and shanks set to a goofy soundtrack like an 80s sports bloopers show. I mean, this was a serious documentary. Half the budget spent on that Benny Hill theme. I don't know why. Oh, now we've got to do it. Now, great. Thanks a lot. Now we've got to pay for the Benny Hill theme. Royalties, royalties going to Benny Hill. I was surprised to find out that Tiger Milk protein bars actually come from Tiger Woods. They're his milk. Yes, Tiger Woods actually lactates. That's disturbing. I feel like they should have to put that on the packaging somewhere. Yeah, and like th- this should be like TV, like NC-17 or something. Yeah, really. You know, th- they talk about Tiger Woods, like he allegedly screwed around with a waitress from the Waffle House. But then they have a prolonged stretch in this movie that talks about all of his favorite syrups that he liked to use on waffles. I mean, I don't think we needed a five-minute stretch about Tiger Woods and syrup. I I personally, I found his, uh, his love of boysenberry to be one of the more gripping things about the show. I don't know what you're Well, we about. all know you're a big syrup guy, Lon. I'm a big, listen, I'm a big syrup guy. Boysenberry does not get enough love when people are talking about, you know, top syrups. And I'm, I'm glad to see some boysenberry representation for once, Al. I'm surprised you're not a little more sensitive to that. You know, listen, if you're happy about it, it's hard for me to argue. But I... I've got to say, to me, the most surprising revelation was that he has his own theme park in China called the Tiger Woods. Now that I uh, not only that he opened it, but that he kept it quiet from the rest of the world. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd get an annual pass. Yeah, I mean, even just for the animatronic theater where a robotic Earl Woods just dresses you down. I mean, that's an experience you can't replicate anywhere else. Oh, and then there's a, a virtual reality where uh, Tiger crashes his car and his, and Elon comes up and um, hits it with a golf club. Oh, it's coming right for us. Ah, right. Oh, yeah, it's a- you, can, you, can re- you can relive that fateful night. Oh, you know what? I just found it a little dry when they had a long stretch where they uh, counted how many dimples are on a golf ball. There are 500 dimples on a golf ball, and I get it, you know. How uh, dare they steal Vox Media's bit? Though you can't do explainers, HBO. That's Vox Media's doing. How dare you? Leave it to Vox. Yeah, we, we didn't need to have all of the interviewees counting the dimples one by one. I mean, that, that, that took a long stretch of time. Yeah. It's, you know, we only got two parts. Let's keep it moving, folks. <laughs> oh, one thing I did enjoy... The long musical salute to colorful plaid golf pants. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, you got to work that in there to a documentary. Yeah. Yeah. That was really enjoyable. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's a rare documentary that pauses for a musical number, folks. These are real spoilers. Though, those are some of our favorite parts of Tiger. The second part is airing on HBO this Sunday. I mean, I'll, I'll watch it. And because it is like 
I mean, that's the thing that, that it's banking on, the lascivious content, the Tiger Woods downfall. What are the revelations? We'll this one's just going to be about how his mom is real intense. Another thing I'm l- looking forward to hearing, apparently Tiger Woods toyed with briefly becoming a Navy SEAL. So I, I hope they cover that part. True story. He used to train with Navy SEALs because Tiger Woods, uh, dude is yoked. Dude, like, he lifts. He definitely lifts, bro. Yeah, there's footage of him lifting in in the film. That's real. That is real. That's 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 not a fake. Story. Yeah, he wants to uh, become. Uh, he, at one point, he inquired about becoming a Navy SEAL. Apparently, so I hope they cover that. I like the idea of inquiring to be a Navy SEAL. Yeah, not trading. How I'm, does one become? Yeah, mm, is this the SEAL Academy? Uh, how does one? Is there a form I could fill well, out? Like he was apparently he was really he was training with Navy SEALs, and he was like, I want to I want to do what you guys do, and they were like. Dude, you don't know what you're getting into. (laughs) He went up to, he saw some Navy SEALs, you know, at the mall. And he walked up to them and was like, I want to do what you guys do. And they were like, little bro, listen, let me tell you something about being a SEAL. Like, how how do you even know when you're seeing a Navy SEAL? No, he was, like, he knew some. He was working out with them. They don't have those, like, binocs on their helmet in real life, like in every day. You can't just be like, that guy's a SEAL. They wear those tack glasses that you, that are as seen on TV. Yeah, one of the, the you know, they, they just have a shirt that's like, I drowned Osama Bin Laden, trust me, it happened. You're like, that guy's And on all seal. I got was this lousy t-shirt. That guy's on SEAL Team 6, I bet. Yep. Tiger on HBO, HBO Max, it is there for yeah. you. Because of the way you just said it, now I feel like it should be about Sagat again. Tiger. Tiger. That's Sagat. Yeah. Tiger uppercut from, from Street Fighter 2. You know how. You don't know. Oh yeah, I've, I've, I, yeah, I've, I've, I've played some combat uh, martial arts games. You're, you you know, you've been to Shadowloo. Coming up, we're going to talk about pretend it's a city on Netflix. Juan, we both watched this docu series, Pretend It's a City, Netflix. That is conversations between the author and uh, humorist Fran Lebowitz and Martin Scorsese, and moments with other interviewers, but it's produced yeah, and directed Spike by Martin Lee, Scorsese. Spike Lee sneaks in there for a little bit. Alec Baldwin. Yeah, Alec Baldwin gets in there, yeah. This, I found this to, to be super enjoyable. I, I, I love an old curmudgeon, and Fran Lebowitz, she is smart, sharp, funny, and her observations. I mean, I found myself giggling right along with Martin Scorsese, who's got a delightful impish laugh through that is kind of the soundtrack. Like it's a conversation most of the much of the time between Fran Lebowitz and Martin Scorsese, and it's just Martin Scorsese giggling. He is he is yeah. just this, delighted this, by her. And uh, as was I. And this reminded me a lot of How To with John Wilson. This is like old ethnic How To with John Wilson, where you're just walking around New York and you're like people watching and making observations. And it's just instead of this like, you know, younger sort of Midwestern guy's take. I guess he's not Midwestern, John Wilson, but he's, you know, like a Gentile's take, a young Gentile's like a, take. Like a millennial, a millennial's take. Right. This is an old Jew's take. So it's like, it's, it's, you know, it's like meaner and more curmudgeonly and like, you know, like annoyed by everything instead of fascinated. But otherwise Complaints. the format, yeah, otherwise the format is very similar. Yeah, I, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was really charming. It reminds me, I, uh, as someone who grew up around old Jews and old Italians, like I grew up in Jersey and, and, and Philly, 
surrounded by almost exclusively old Jews and Italians. And so this felt like the, a warm blanket. Like this felt like my childhood coming back to just listen to these two chat and, and talk about things that irritated them. And uh, if, they, if, if Scorsese talked about his bowels a little more, this would have been like every conversation I overheard when I was seven years old. So I found it really comforting. I don't know if that would apply to everybody. But for me, this was a, like this was pretty special. Yeah. So, and it echoes like a certain era of New York. Like the 1970s were a much different time. Like I am also from the East Coast. I spent a lot of time in uh, New York because I grew up in Jersey as well. And so maybe hey. this, like, oh, yeah. Stunar, eh? Uh, yeah, come on, forget about. It. So th- th- this show is might be like we are probably like the core demo that this show is po- pointed towards. But th- there is something a-, a little bit more just like darker and grittier and not in a Zack Snyder way, but just like rugged about 1970s New York. Like it it was that much more dangerous and there was all this cool shit like the rise of punk rock. And like it, it was a, as opposed to now where it's been kind of disney Like if you go to Times Square and there, there's a great jag on this in the show, they riff on Times Square and how much Fran Lebowitz hates Times Square because it's become this tourist mecca. But Times Square used to be dangerous and like fraught with peril, like their drugs, prostitutes, the 19th, the, the Times Square of Scorsese's taxi driver, you know? And Fran Lebowitz lived through this. She knew like Buster Poindexter and David Bowie and Iggy Pop and all these people that would play at CBGB's in New York. So her coming up in that era, it is like a time capsule. And then you get to hear her and she's such a curmudgeon. Like she talks about like people who are just looking down on their phone and walking down the street. And she like, you know, readily offers, oh, I don't, I don't own a phone. Like she doesn't have, so, and she, she's an observer and her observations are really witty, so sharp. You know, I heard the comparison made. I think it's very apt. Like she is kind of our living, breathing version of a Dorothy Parker, someone who will regale you with stories and witticisms. And, you know, you don't have to agree with everything, but damn, she's a really good at observational humor and she's just a Michael Jordan level complainer. The complaining is so good. Yeah, it's uh, right. And it's it's just, it's just fun to follow them around. I mean, I think that there's you know there's there's not that much to analyze or pick apart. It's just two clever, interesting people who enjoy one another's company. And yeah, it's like it's fun to see Scorsese be a fan and just kind of like follow this other person around that he's interested in hearing from. You know, and just kind of make a show about it. It, it. it feels like extremely low concept. Like they walked in to Netflix and it was just like, Marty, what do you got for us? And he's like, I, I my friend Frank, I just want to follow her around. We're going to we're going to make a show. She's going to walk around. Maybe sometimes she'll get in front of an audience. Most of the time, not. We'll go, we'll go, we'll go get a drink. It'll be the show. And then Netflix is like, all right, he's going to make another movie for us at some point. Just let him do whatever. He could just walk in and he could do whatever he wants. But like, I'll tell you what, I want to be on a new season of Nailed It. But it's just going to be me. No other contestants, just me. I'm making cakes. It's Nicole Byer and then me. And then I make the cakes. And they'd be like, all right, Marty, that's fine. Just do another De Niro movie at some point. Yep, there it is. It's me. It's Leonardo DiCaprio. We're making cakes. With a guest appearance by Harvey Keitel. He's going to do it. I'll talk to Harvey. Don't worry about it. He's going to do it. 
And, you know, you, you got to say, like, they talk about New York as a character in. Did you uh, see Sarah Jessica Parker literally just did that today? Like the most cliched thing. Because, you know, Kim Cattrall's not going to be in this Sex in the City reboot. Right. And so Sarah Jessica Parker, without being ironic, told TMZ, you know, Samantha's not going to be in it, but you know who the fourth character in this in this season's really going to be? It's really going to be New York. New York is going to be a oh my character. God. You, you just made me throw up in my mouth just, just and, a little and, bit. And it's like, could you, could you please, is there, no, is there no more disgraceful, ridiculous cliche that you could throw at us about that? You know what? You know what? I, I really like to think of it as, I think of it as, it's, a, it's really a mood piece, Sex and the City. It's a tone, it's a tone poem. Oh, my God. It's going to be a roller coaster ride of thrills and chills. A, a tone poem to late stage capitalism. But it, when you try to imbue a city with characteristics, or like bring it to life a little bit. Yeah, it, it can be a little bit cliched, absolutely. But when you watch like Scorsese or the, uh, you know, I, I hesitate to bring it up, but like Woody Allen or something, New York is beautifully shot. And you get that sense here, like Fran Leibowitz's love of the city. It is it is rich. And she does a good, uh, j- good job of describing what a person loves about this huge metropolis. Because, you know, a lot of people who, you know, you know, there are people who are who don't care for New York City or who have never been there and like I don't see the appeal. And I think she does a good job of expressing just the rich vibrancy and like just the smells, the feelings that like really are unique to this city compared to a lot of other cities. You can only really do that. It's only New York, maybe Los Angeles that gets the like, you know, it's really a character like Duluth never gets that. (laughs) Nobody's like, you know, Fresno's really the third character in this movie. That's never nobody's ever said that. I think Miami has some vibes. Miami has yes, its own you're right, like you're weird right. thing. Miami could be like Seattle even or Portland maybe. Could be Seattle, I'm listening. Yeah. Like right. Okay, Seattle's really the third character in Frasier. In Frasier, yeah. It's it's Niles, Frasier and Seattle. <laughs> Martin and then then Seattle. Okay, the fourth character. Oh, and what's the dog's name? Eddie. Eddie. Okay, yeah, so it's 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 Martin, Eddie, Niles, Frazier. What's the dog's name in Frasier? How dare you? But yeah, but 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 yeah, like Tuscaloosa. It's never like, you know, Tuscaloosa is really the fourth character in Sex and the City. Whoa, shots fired against Alabama, Lon. Listen, if you are listening to this podcast right now in Tuscaloosa, go fuck yourself. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. It's a simple message. It's a simple message to the people exclusively of Tuscaloosa. Fire off some tweets at Lons, at L-O-N-S on Twitter and let him know how you're feeling, Alabama. Certainly not the last time I've said it. Go fuck yourself. Wow. Like, instead of Roll Tide, Lon says Toilet Bowl Tide. Wow. Didn't have anywhere to go with that when you started it, did you? But no, I figured you'd took get it there. somewhere. You're I like, took it roll, somewhere. Roll rhymes with a lot of things. So I'm sure... By the end of this sentence, I'm going to have one. And I did have one. Now, sort of. How yeah. good or bad that one is, you know, I'd rather not talk about. It's a, it's non-syllabic, but, you know, like, okay. I, I, I'd rather not discuss, like, the quality of it, but I got to something. Listen, I got to something. A lot of rappers could pull off Roll to Toilet Bowl and make it really sing. So it, it's possible. It could, it could work. You know what? Uh, I'm going to wor- I'm gonna have to work on my mic skills. Your, your flow. <laughs> yeah, my flow. 
So yeah, pretend it's a city, and it's like it's an easy breezy watch. It's like yeah, I mean, and it's enjoyable. It's like you know, I think a lot of us are looking for stuff to just like oh, get me the hell out of the news cycle for a little bit. You know, it's nice to hear an old Jew complain. You know, sometimes just to take me out of my my daily doldrums. Any other thoughts on that? Want to、no. put a button on it? Want to put a bow on it? I think we put a bow on it. Tied it up. There we go. Send it away. It's on. It's 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 winging its way to its final destination. Lick、already. it, lick it, stamp it, drop it off at the post office. Lon, another fine episode talking about streaming. If I do, if I do say so myself, another、uh, we knocked it out of the park. Another triumph for Hal and Lon. Indeed, gold stars for both of us. Yeah, I'm really proud of us. I feel like maybe we just wrap the whole thing up right here. That's it. We'll never top this. One, one to hang our hats on. Yeah, that's But, it.、Uh, you know what? I, I think I think we'll be back. We'll、uh, come we'll back. Be back I'm just、another. kidding. We're not going to retire gonna from podcasting forever. I want to thank Starburns.、Uh, I want to thank. Owl Nation, hoot hoot! What does it take to be an Owl Nation? Nothing, anything. It's meaningless. So embrace it. The more you do, the less you're involved. Actually, that's how it works. Yes, I want to thank our producer, the awesome Adam Macias, for taking out all of our pregnant pauses and helping us along the way. Jason K for our theme song, and、uh, Lon. I plugged your social media earlier. Plug it one more time. Lons, L O N S. That's me on Twitter. Find me there. I, I, you know, but it's a lot of politics this week. But I'll stop. I, I promise. We'll get back to. <laughs> we'll get back to TV shows. I am also bitching about the stand. So、uh, you can you can keep up with me on that. And then the Inside Streaming newsletter, Inside dot com slash streaming is where to sign up for that. It's free. It's five days a week, and it's got everything I talk about here and a lot more. What what shows to watch? What I'm watching. News, all, all all that good stuff. So sign up、uh, for the Inside Streaming newsletter. Everything and more. And Lon, what is your、uh, beard grooming blog called? Wow, called Roll Tide Toilet Bowl Tide. I don't know. I don't have a beard grooming. I do a terrible job at grooming my beard. I'm surprised you would even broach that subject. I, you know, you know what? It, it's、uh, you get those the clippers they get at the store, you know, like the the the,、mm-hmm. the you know, like the razor, and it's got like levels on it for how long your beard is. But those、yes. don't, it doesn't work at all. It's not consistent at all. It still comes out weirdly lopsided for me. I can't ever get everything like lined up and looking like crisp like it does with people on TV. I don't I don't know what's wrong with me. Lon, well, you know, I'm a fan of your beard, so I just—it's a little,、uh, it's, a, it's 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 always like there's a little clump of it that's a little longer than the rest of it, and I、oh, can't. But I like that there's、it. a little gray, and then there's brown. It's、uh, I, I give you big big thumbs up on the, on the, on the beard, Lon. <laughs> Mostly brown, a little gray. I do not、uh, have a beard, but I do have social media. You can find me at Hal Rudnick, H A L. R U D N I C K on Twitter and Instagram, where I'm doing、uh, a lot of dumb comedy shit and movie and TV stuff, and yeah, some、uh, politics as well. And check out my Twitch channel, Twitch.tv/chuckleface. Oh, some dumb fun comedy shows on that. And yeah, I think that'll wrap it up for this week. Bye bye, everybody. Bye. Bitch boys, 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 bitch